Good morning, everybody. It's the Sunday after Easter. We are glad that you are here. We have been in a series traveling through the book of Romans, and we've arrived at Romans chapter 8, uh, considered by many to be one of the great chapters of Scripture. And so uh, we covered one verse last week. And then when we get to Romans chapter 8, what we discover, if you're reading through Romans, is that Paul only mentions the Holy Spirit five times in the seven chapters leading up to Romans chapter 8. He mentions the Holy Spirit nine times in the chapters after Romans chapter 8, the eight chapters after Romans chapter 8. When we get to Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul mentions the Holy Spirit, guess how many? More than five, more than nine. He mentions the Holy Spirit 21 times in this single chapter alone. And so that should tell us, alert us to the fact that the Holy Spirit is on center stage when we get to Romans chapter 8. And so because of that, I want to take a few moments here today to kind of take a time out from our series and just give an introduction, if we may, to the Holy Spirit who is going to be the... Uh, on focus as we travel through Romans chapter 8. Our text comes from Galatians chapter 5. You say, Galatians? What are we doing in Galatians? I thought we were talking about Romans. Well, Galatians chapter 5 and Romans chapter 7 and 8 really kind of mirror one another. Uh, they complement one another. They talk about a lot of the same subject matter. And so what we're going to be doing as we travel through Romans chapter 8 is flipping back over to Galatians chapter 5, and we'll bounce back and forth between the two as we travel through there. So our text today comes from Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 16 and 17 and chapter 2 and verse 20 uh, in that order. So here's our, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, um, Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16. Here we go. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, before we get to talking about what the Holy Spirit does, first of all, we want to know who the Holy Spirit is. I would say first and foremost that the Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is not an it. That is that the Holy Spirit of God is a person. The Holy Spirit can be lied to, Acts chapter 5. The Holy Spirit can be resisted, Acts chapter 7. The Holy Spirit can be uh, obeyed, Acts chapter 10. The Holy Spirit intercedes in prayer on the behalf of believers, Romans chapter 8. And his feelings can be hurt as we discover that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians chapter 4. Friends, you cannot grieve an it. An impersonal force cannot intercede on behalf of you in prayer. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Second fact that the Bible says the Holy Spirit is God himself. That is that the Holy Spirit is as fully God as God the Father and God the Son are. We know this, number one, because every attribute that is credited to the Father and the Son is also credited through the Scriptures to the Holy Spirit. For example, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, Psalm chapter 139. The Holy Spirit is omnipotent, all-powerful, Isaiah chapter 40. The Holy Spirit is omniscient, knows the deep things of God that only God knows, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And finally, the Holy Spirit shares in the sovereignty of God, 1 Corinthians 
chapter 12. What's more, number two, is that the works that the Bible attributes to God alone, the things that God accomplishes and that God alone accomplishes, also credits those things to the Holy Spirit. For example, the Holy Spirit was present at creation and took part in the creating effort. The Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep in Genesis chapter 1. The Holy Spirit is also responsible for the Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 22, the Holy Spirit guided the writers of the Scriptures along as they wrote the words of Scripture. Um, and also, the Holy Spirit was responsible for the virgin birth, Luke chapter 1. Again, these are all things that only God did, and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit did those things. This explains why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, to go therefore and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll notice in that verse that Jesus doesn't say in the names of, but rather he says in the name of, recognizing that the Holy Spirit is part of the Godhead, that the Godhead is one, that we worship one God and three persons, that these three persons exist simultaneously, co-equally, um, co-eternally, and that they are the same essence. This is why the council at Constantinople in 381 AD made this declaration, and I quote, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the life-giving one, who is to be glorified equally with the Father and with the Son. So this is who the Holy Spirit is, but what is it that the Holy Spirit does? Now, in just a moment, we're going to get to this, but there's some little yellow sheets on your, on the, in the seat. So if you need to run and grab one, you can. And that's just to help us follow along and help us see some of what the work of the Holy Spirit is. So we'll take a look at that here in a second. But before we get to that sheet, I want to share with you just a little timeline here of, of what the Holy Spirit has, is doing in terms of human history. This timeline is something I ran across years ago in a book called The Gospel of the Kingdom. If you ever want to read it, it's a good read by George Eldon Ladd. And he kind of just helped us see that human history is moving toward a purpose. It's moving toward a climactic end. That human history is not like the Buddhists would say. It's not like the Hindus would say where it's just cyclical and things just keep revolving back upon themselves. No, human history had a beginning at creation and it's moving forward with purpose and it finally it'll come to an end with the return of Christ. But in between that, the Godhead, the parts of the Godhead were here on planet Earth. The first of those ages of human history is what we refer to as the age of the law or the Old Testament age. And the part of the Godhead that was most active here on planet earth during that period of time was God the Father. God the Father rested inside of the tabernacle. Remember, tabernacle is a Hebrew verb, and it means to dwell. And God's saying that he came down and he dwelled, or he tabernacled in the midst of his people. That's where God the Father was during that Old Testament age. He came down and sat on top of that Ark of the Covenant that Indiana Jones was hunting for. And so that's where he was. And so the other parts of the Godhead were off in heaven, the Holy Spirit, Jesus. They came to the earth at different times. We can see that in the Old Testament scriptures. But the part of the God that was most active in the Old Testament age, the age of the law, was God the Father. And then we see the second age of human history, and this is what we'd refer to as the age of the Spirit, or the church age. That's the age in which we live today. And the part of the Godhead that's most active right now on planet Earth is not God the Father, because He's up in heaven on His throne. It's not God the Son, because God, God the Son, Jesus, is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But it's God the Holy Spirit that is active on the planet. The Bible tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple? Temple is a place where God lives. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? 
And so the Bible is reminding us here, telling us here, that when we become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of each and every one of us. So again, the part of the Godhead that is active here on the planet is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is dwelling or tabernacling inside of each one of us. Now there's a little overlap period, just for the sake of explanation, I'll give you all of it. There's a little overlap period between the end of the first age and the beginning of the second age. And the part of the Godhead that was most active on the planet during that period was none other than Jesus Christ, God the Son. The Bible says, Genesis, or John chapter 1, and verse 14, that the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt. Interestingly, the Greek word for dwelt is the word skenu, and it's a direct translation of the Hebrew word tabernacle. Huh, kind of cool, huh? So it's the idea that God dwelt, Jesus came down and dwelt, it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in human flesh, God incarnate. Um, and so you can see there how the Holy Spirit operates in this present age in which we live today. Now, what are some of the jobs or some of the ministries of the Holy Spirit here as He dwells within us? Well, I got a few of them for you there. They're on that little piece of paper. Number one, the Holy Spirit is who convicts people of sin. It is the Holy Spirit who convinces people that they have a sin problem and that they have, they're subject to the judgment of God. Um, you, you and I have done this before. We've tried to convince somebody that they have a sin problem. We've tried to point out to them that they need forgiveness of their sins, that they're uh, heading for an eternity where they don't want to go. And it just seems like we're just beating our head against the wall. We can't quite get them to understand that. We can't get them to accept that, that they've got this sin problem that needs fixing. Well, friends, that's because it's the Holy Spirit's job, and only the Holy Spirit can convince somebody, can help them come to a conviction of their sins. If anybody has ever put their faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, it is the Holy Spirit of God that comes and precedes that moment of justification and leads them to the conviction of their sins and realizing, recognizing that they have a sin problem that only Jesus can fix. This is why Jesus said, John chapter 16 and verse 8, when he, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 says, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, watch now, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Friends, when we invite Jesus into our life, it is the Holy Spirit who seals that and begins that work of, of um, causing us to be new creatures in Christ. Number three, the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us assurance of our salvation, that we are indeed born again, that we are indeed um, heading for heaven. Romans chapter 8 and verse 16, the, the Holy says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are indeed children of God. As followers of Christ, that sense that you have, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you are heading for heaven, that you have a relationship with God, friends, that assurance that you have, that confidence that you have, is part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. As a high school student, I had, my friends knew that I was a Christian, and I would, I didn't drag them, I just made them come. I don't know if you consider that dragging or not, but I would make them come to church for different youth group events or different evangelistic events that we were having at our church. Then we'd go off and watch movies or whatever it was we happened to be doing. Um, and, but I'd always make them go. And so when we'd hop in the car and we're heading out to go watch the movie after the church event, 
My buddies would grill me all the time, and they'd come up with objection after objection after objection. How do you know the Bible is true? How do you know that Jesus resurrected from the dead? And they would hit me with all these questions. Well, I didn't have all the answers. I was 16 years old. I didn't have all the answers to those questions then, and I still don't have all the answers to those questions today. But the one thing I knew was that when I was eight years old and I got up off of my knees that Jesus Christ lived in my heart, friends, and that I'd had a personal experience with him, and my friends, no matter all the objections that they could raise, could not take that away from me. Again, that's part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit assuring us of our salvation. Number four, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Godhead who dwells within us. We pointed that out a few moments ago, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Number five, the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates our minds so that we can understand the written word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, friends, this happens to me every week. I'm sitting there with God's Word, and I'm in my study, and I'm three hours in, I'm five hours in, and I'm reading through Romans chapter 7, and I'm going, Lord, I don't understand this. Lord, I don't get this. I'm reading these commentaries. I'm paying these guys a lot of money to write this stuff, and they're teaching this stuff for a lifetime. I mean, they don't seem to understand what's going on here. And so, Lord, help me to understand. And all of a sudden, it dawns on me. I need to ask God to help me to understand what's going on here in these scriptures. And usually, it's just minutes away before all of a sudden the light bulb goes off, and the Holy Spirit reveals to me. Hey, look, this is what's going on in this scripture. This is the truth of God's word. This is what God wants for you to proclaim. And so, friends, again, this, it's the Holy Spirit illuminating our mind to help us to understand spiritual truth. Number six, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts so that we can serve God and his people. We did a series here at this church about a year ago where we walked through the spiritual gifts. If you want to go back and you can look it up online and watch the sermons online and listen to those online if you want to dig a little bit deeper into that, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Number, uh, number seven, the Holy Spirit is the one who comforts us in the trials of life, John chapter 14. Number eight, the Holy Spirit is the one who restrains evil in the world so that the work of God can move forward, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, I've got two more for you. One more I'm going to cover right now. The second I'm going to get to here in a few minutes. But the, this, this next one's really cool, so I want you all to pay attention here. So number nine um, is that the Holy Spirit is our down payment on us as followers of Jesus Christ. Um, if you've ever bought a house or gotten into a contract with somebody on the house, you have to put down some earnest money, they call it, like $1,000 or maybe more than that. And so what is that $1,000 doing? It's saying that I am going to buy this property. It's a down, it's not a down payment so much, it's a, it's, it's, what would we call that? Earnest money? <laughs> it's you saying that I'm going to hold up my end of this bargain, that my intentions are that I'm going to fulfill this contract. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is. The Bible says, um, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if God had never intended to hold up his end of the bargain of bringing you to an eternity with him in heaven, then he would never have sent his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. The Holy Spirit is God's guarantee, friends, that you are his, that you are a child of his, and that one day you will be with him in heaven. All right, well, that's as far as we want to go with our theological treatment of this topic of the Holy Spirit. I hope you feel a little bit introduced to who he is. Um, and so that means it's time to ask our most important question, what difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, I appreciate all this information, theology class 101, I get it. But I mean, how does this help me get the kids off to school this week? We've got to get back on a, on a different sleep schedule. And, uh, and, and, and I've got to manage people at work. I mean, what does any of this have to do with my life? 
That's a great question. Let's see if we can answer that. I got one more ministry for you of the Holy Spirit to tell you about, and this one is intensely practical. All right, number 10, last ministry of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the person who lives the Christian life through us. You say, I don't get it. I, think, I thought Christians lived the Christian life. What are you talking about? The Holy Spirit lives the Christian life through us. I don't understand that. Well, Paul explains here, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. We read it a few moments ago. It says, For the desires of the flesh, that is our sinful nature, are against the Spirit. Paul had talked about this in Romans chapter 7, about how he had certain things that he wished he didn't do, but he found himself doing those things, and the things that he really wanted to do uh, were the things he, he, he fell short of. He couldn't, couldn't get there. And so this is what he's pointing out here, is that the things of the flesh, the things of the sinful nature, that compulsion on the inside of us that's pushing us, that's shoving us to do things that we don't want to do um, is against the Spirit. And it says that the Spirit um, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Sounds kind of familiar to Romans chapter 7, doesn't it? Paul says that when we become Christians, that does not mean that our sinful nature just goes away, that our sinful nature no longer bothers us anymore. Just because we've come to faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us doesn't mean that that old person that we used to be has just completely vanished and gone. And this is why even as followers of Jesus Christ, we drink too much, we sleep too much, we, we spend too much, we talk too much, we gossip too much, we lose our temper too much, and we act selfishly too much. What's worse is that as hard as we try to control these passions inside of us, they are simply stronger than we are. Paul talked about this, Romans chapter 7 and verse 18, middle of the verse, he says, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. In other words, that simple nature is on the inside of him, and it's more powerful than Paul's raw determination is. He says, verse 19, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil, and the really bad stuff, and to say the, you know, sort of bad stuff. He says the evil that I want, that I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. You know, for the vast majority of Christians, this is our story. We can relate directly to what Paul is talking about here, that no matter how hard we try, we keep finding ourselves falling short. We keep stumbling over the same stupid mistakes sometimes, and we're just wondering with ourselves, well, I guess this is just the way it is, and we throw our hands up in the air and say, I guess the best I can do is just to grit and bear it. I guess the best I can do is just try to do my best and know that I'm going to fail and fall flat on my face eventually. Well, hang on a minute. Paul has a solution. You see, the problem that most Christians have is that we are trying to live the Christian life incorrectly. We've been taught to live it wrong. You see, God gave us the indwelling Holy Spirit to provide us with the power that we need to subdue these sinful passions. And instead of turning to the power of God within, Gordon turns to himself. And he tries to overcome these things in his own might and in his own power. And friends, I can't do that. I can't overcome it, just like the Apostle Paul couldn't. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, Paul says these words, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's a pretty amazing statement. The Bible puts forward the possibility, the potential, that we really can live beyond where our sinful nature is driving us to go. He says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As I said earlier, most of us don't think about living the Christian life this way. Most of us, though, were taught to get saved, come to church, 
join a Sunday school class or small group, read a devotional, and we're told, we're told that, hey, look, you'll live the victorious life. You'll, you'll overcome all the problems that you've got. But what we find out is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now, don't get me wrong. Bible study and prayer and small groups and Sunday school classes have their place, and those are wonderful things. But, friends, those should be the overflow of a life that is lived in the Spirit of God rather than the things that cause us to live a life in the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of God that causes us to live a Spirit-filled life, not enough study of God's Word. Listen, the Christian life is a supernatural life. If I could do it of my own self, if it was a natural thing for me to be able to live the way God expects me to live, then I wouldn't need to look to God. I wouldn't need to look to some resource outside of myself to live this way. Now, this is not a natural life. This is not natural. What is it? So it is a supernatural life that God is calling us to. And so because of that, we need to bring in power outside to help us to live in this supernatural way, in an unnatural way. Um, you say, well, all right, how do I do this? Uh, can you put some handles on it? I mean, well, what does this look like? How do, I, how do I get to this? How do I get to living by the Holy Spirit? Well, flip over to Galatians 2 and verse 20. Paul writes these words. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. And then he says these words, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live how? By faith, by faith. And what is faith? i got a slide for you here. Here's what faith is. Faith is depending on God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Faith is depending on God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Follow me now. If we began our Christian life by faith, right? we're saved by faith. I, we're, I'm not, I, I can't wash away my own sins. I can pay the penalty for my sins. Eternal damnation is where that is. Um, but if I want to spend eternity in the presence of a holy God, I need somebody else to wash away my sins for me and to pay that price for me. And so Jesus took the hit, friends, that I should have taken. And so I'm, I put my faith, I put my trust in the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. If you're here today, you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You've never entered into a real and personal relationship with Jesus. I don't know how you're planning on getting to heaven, but the Bible says there is only one way. Jesus said that I'm the way to the Father. And there is no other way. Friends, we are saved by faith. We begin this journey with God. We enter into a relationship with Him. We are justified, declared not guilty in His sight by putting our faith in God. That's how this whole Christian life is inaugurated. Well, when we get to the end of our life, when we get ready to exit off into life, we also exit this life in faith. I don't know how to get to heaven. Do you know how to get to heaven? Are you going to take me there? No, none of us know how to get to heaven. So we're trusting in Jesus who says he knows how to get to heaven. Who, and we know that he knows because he was resurrected from the dead. Uh, confirmation of that. And so I'm putting my faith and my trust in Jesus that he knows the way to get to heaven. And so I am started this walk with God by faith. I'm going to exit this life by faith. So somebody explained to me between uh, me starting my relationship with Jesus by faith, me exiting this life by faith, why in the middle we would change systems and rely on me. No, Paul's saying it started with faith, it'll end with faith, and it needs to be lived out in faith. The whole thing from start to the end is faith by faith. What does it mean to be lived by faith? It means to trust in God to do for me, right here in this middle section, 
what I can't do myself. This is what Paul said in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I live by faith. I go out of my house every day. I consciously depend on the Holy Spirit to do for me what I am unable to do for myself. To give me the power that I need, to give me the ability that I need, moment by moment, to subdue my sinful nature so that I can obey God like I really want to. And friends, that is living the Christian life by faith. It's been several months ago, actually I had an incident of this this morning, but I don't know what it is about, I don't, I don't like to drive real fast around the county, and some other people do. Things are changing around, around here lately. Um, but I was on my way into church, well, this morning I had headlights in my rearview mirror. I pulled off the road, let him go. Um, but uh, this has been several months ago. I had a guy, he came up behind me, and I mean, he was, I don't know if he was heading for the emergency room. I don't know what his deal was, but he was in a hurry. And um, he was flashing his lights right up on my bumper, and um, he was doing this into, into his windshield. 55, it's 55. <laughs> I mean, he was, you could see him saying it to 55. And, and, uh, and uh, I knew I was in a 45-mile-an-hour zone, so I was doing 45 miles an hour. And um, I just, you know, when somebody does something like that to you, it kind of draws, brings something out of you. you know, that sinful nature starts creeping out, and I got some things I wanted to say or some things I wanted to yell or have whatever. And um, so I'm just driving down the road, and I'm like, Lord, I, I'm, beyond, I'm, I'm outside of myself right now. I'm beyond myself, my ability right now, and so I need some help here. And so I just asked him, Lord, help me to deal with this situation in a, in a way that honors you. And so here comes a little turning lane, and I got off in the turning lane, and he had on down the road. See, the thing is, in my own strength, in my own power, I know how I wanted to react. I know, and I knew that God deserved it, right? But I knew also how I needed to react and how God would want me to respond in that situation. And I didn't have the power. I didn't have the strength to do it. And so I called on God. I called on the power of the Holy Spirit to give me the strength to do what I couldn't do myself. Friends, we are in over our heads every single day. We cannot live the way the Bible tells us to on our own because the Bible is calling us to live an unnatural a supernatural life, and we can't live supernaturally in the power of our natural man. And so as we close today, I have an assignment for you, something I want for you to try in the coming week. And I'm telling you, if you try this, you're going to watch yourself rack up victory after victory after victory. And that is, if there's an area in your life where you're struggling, there's an area in your life where you've just been having some difficulty and you've been getting a lot of defeat, uh, might be cursing, might be lying, might be looking with lustful eyes, it might be gossiping, it might be losing your temper. Pick the area of your life where you're struggling. And this week, I want you to go out every day saying, Lord, I am not going to rely on myself in this area to overcome and have victory here. I'm going to rely on you. Not to walk out of the house and say, God, I can do it. I I'm going to do it. I can make it happen. But to rather to say, God, I need a power outside of myself to live unnaturally, to live supernaturally. And friends, you will rack up victory after victory after victory. This is how we live the Christian life by faith. We walk by the Spirit of God. And so when you're tempted late at night to flip on something on the TV that's inappropriate or dishonoring to God, 
That's when we need to say, Lord Jesus, I know that this is wrong, but this stuff is more powerful than I am, and so I need a power that is stronger than it to help me to do the right thing. When somebody cuts you off in traffic, when the kids are pushing your buttons and patience is thin, we need to say right then and there, Lord, right now I need unnatural, supernatural power outside of myself, patience to come in and give me what I need because I don't have it. But you do, Lord, and so you give it to me. And you'll find, again, that you'll rack up victory after victory after victory. Friends, if you need to pray that prayer 50 times a day, do it. I mean, the Bible says that we're supposed to be in an ongoing, a moment-by-moment relationship with our Father in heaven. He has all these resources available to us. Let's turn to him. Let's ask him for it. So you pick out some area of your life where you're struggling, put God to the test, and see if this new way of living the Christian life doesn't bring you the victory you've been so looking forward to. Listen, friends, the Christian life lived correctly, it does work. It does. It is a life lived by faith, depending on God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to hear from your word today to be reminded of the power that is available to us, all just for the asking. Lord, wherever we are struggling, we know that you want for us to live holy. We know for you, that you want for us to live obediently, and that, Lord, you didn't just leave us to our own resources to get there, but that you put your spirit inside of us, a resource, a power greater than our sinful nature, greater than our compulsion greater than our desires our fleshly desires Lord, we just ask that we would tap into that that we would make this a way of life lord as we turn now to be reminded of your shed blood and of your broken body we were reminded again of what makes all this possible we thank you for your great love we thank you for your great sacrifice use these moments of quiet as we still our hearts before you, Lord. Minister to us, encourage us, challenge us, Lord. We pray all this in Christ's holy name. Amen.